quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, thank you, Anderson, and thank you for helping us remember the right things the right way. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Look, we have to be on the same page about reality. The pandemic will be with us for a while, period. Every place that ignores that reality and the recommended masks and measures will suffer. We see it time and again. We have to hear and accept this and act on it because you and I, we are the key. You have to take care of yourself. And by doing that, I thank you because it helps protect me and my family. Forget Trump. He does not want what the rest of us must want right now with this pandemic. Believe who he has shown you he is for the umpteenth time. Of course he lies about testing and invites people to gather at their own peril. He values praise over your protection. Even in Arizona, where cases are popping, he didn't even talk about it. Look, Of course, Trump continues to call COVID-19 the Kung flu. He is a demagogue who plays to bigotry. He wants you to blame the Chinese and see them as an other. That's what and who he is. Take it from someone who's known him most of my adult life. That's who he's always been. If any of you want this country to come close to its promise, forget about me needing to call out the obvious. You must reject the bigotry. You must demand that a president get this poison of us versus them out of his mendacity-ridden maw. There is no debate. He is a demagogue. That's not an argument. It is a fact. Deny lie, defy. This is what he does once and always. His plan is simple. Divide us and conquer a second term. If you do not like him or that, don't vote for him. That's your choice. But know this, if you do support him, you own all of what he says and does. He put more effort into a wall that was grossly oversold as a fix for immigration and refused to do the things he could have early on and said all the worst things he could to expose more of us to this virus. You own that. There is no question he could have done more and better and chose not to. And we are all paying the price, period. It is not an opinion. And if you need the reality of who he is proven to you once again that he is all about the me and forget about the we, here. When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people. You're going to find more cases. 
So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. No one who gives a rat's ass about anyone else asks for less testing in a pandemic. Okay? The only reason to do something as stupid as that is to minimize what you and I know about the spread. And then, Miss I'll Never Lie to You said this. It was a comment that he made in jest. It's a comment that he made in passing. He was joking about the media and their failure to understand the fact that when you test more, you also find more cases. If this were Abbott and Costello, one of them would do this. What is she even saying? Look, this is what happens. McEnany and co can lie about me, but I will always tell the truth about them. I told Kaylee McEnany on this show, if you refuse to accept the reality that this president lies to the American people, you will never have credibility from the media or the masses. And that is exactly where she finds herself today. But Trump did what he does best, threw her right under the bus. Listen. I don't kid. Let me just tell you, testing is a double-edged sword. In one way, it tells you you have cases. In another way, you find out where the cases are. That doesn't even make sense either. What he meant to say was, it tells you how many cases there are. That's good, right? Tells you where they are. That's good, right? So what's the other edge? It's that it's bad for him because it shows there are more cases and he wants you to believe that COVID's no big thing. So who's lying? Both of them. He never said that to anyone about reducing the testing, but he wasn't joking. He wasn't sarcastic. He was being cynical. He believes that he can win by making you angry and by being an agent for your outrage. Look, he is the president of the United States. His words and actions demand exposure, if only out of respect for the office. But he is not about getting us to a better place on this pandemic. You have to know that by now. Thank God some on his team are. That's why he wants the glow of Fauci to illuminate his lackluster efforts and toxic talk. You saw his tweet. It's been all over the place, right? First, he wasn't sure about Fauci. Put up the tweet. First, he put out, he wasn't sure about Fauci, right? Remember that? There was a little bit of trash talk about Tony Fauci. Maybe he's on the outs. Remember that? And then what did the Trumpers do? They responded by threatening the man, going after his family, because that's what Trumpers want to do when stoked to anger by Trump. But now, Tony Fauci, and rightly so, who's been straight with you, who's been honest, who's been cautious, it's got high ratings. So the president says, well, then I should too. Be nice to me. No. No, you don't get what Tony Fauci gets. Why? Because you don't say what Tony Fauci says. You make things up. You say stupid things about what you should drink and what can end this and the magic. And you put them on the spot and you embarrass them and then you hide them because you don't like what they say. Seen Tony Fauci on this show anytime recently? You think it's a coincidence that you don't see Dr. Burks? That you don't see the heads of the agencies? 
that this is the only time in recent American history where the people who are in charge of dealing with something that affects all of us are kept from all of us. The CDC director says this virus has brought our nation to its knees. Have you heard Trump say that? That's why you don't see so much of the CDC director. So now that we know the reality, now that there can be no hiding from it, what do we do about it? That's the right question for us to start on. And we have a great person to help answer it. Dr. Thomas Frieden. He was the head of the CDC. He understands this. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show, Doc, as always. Um, the idea, I'm not going to burden you with the, are you sure it's bad? Are people really still getting sick? We don't play stupid here. People know that we have a problem. The question is, are we able to put this behind us anytime soon as a country? Yes or no? And if yes, how so? Well, Chris, the virus is still out there. We may be sick and tired of staying home, but the virus is not tired of making us sick. Uh, you really have to compare the U.S. with other countries around the world. In my organization, we work all around the world, and the U.S. response is just lagging. We're not doing what we need to do to keep physically distant. We're not across the country scaling up contact tracing as effectively as needed so we can prevent cases from exploding into clusters and outbreaks. And Chris, I'll give you just a couple of numbers to think about. 30, 30 cases in Seoul, South Korea uh, yesterday. And that made them really concerned. They're focusing on it. They're gonna stop them so they can, they can keep economic growth going and society going, 30,000. That's the number of cases we had in the U.S. And some people are trying to say, not a big deal. No, it's not Seven. what Trump's saying, Doc. You it's know what he's saying? Kung flu, baby. They designed this thing in a lab to come get us. That's why they're not being hurt as much. I know you said South Korea, and I'm referring to China. Same thing. Same thing in terms of the toxic politics of it. What's your response? Well, I'll just, you know, uh, facts don't lie. Uh, there are 120,000 dead Americans from this virus. There are, at last count, 270 people who've died from it in South Korea. If you look on a population basis, if you had moved to South Korea on January 20th, when each of our countries had its first case, you would have been 70 times less likely to be killed by this virus. But he blames them for that. He says that the Asians, that's why he calls it Kung Flu, right? The Chinese did this to us. That's why we're dying more. They may have some like other answer there, but this was done to us. Blame them, not him. What we need in this country is an organized response, led federally, implemented at states. And you see states doing a good job, New York, uh, New Jersey, New Mexico, really making progress, driving down infections so people can go out again. On the other hand, you see Texas, Arizona, Florida, cases exploding, and they're going to continue to increase there. And as a doctor, as an epidemiologist and scientist, I wanna be very clear. The increase in cases we're seeing in those states is not from more testing. It's from more disease. It's All right, because so hold the on, disease doctor. is spreading. This is an important point. In the next block, I was gonna get into some of the politics of this, but why? It's like adding uh, fuel to the fire. It's like sneezing on a virus. Do me a favor. Let me hold you over the break. Let's keep talking about why some of these states 
are struggling, whether it's just, um, and you know, what are the two options? The one is, well, this was always going to happen. It was always going to cascade through the country versus no, we're not seeing the same kinds of measures in different places. Uh, only one of those things can be more true than the other. I want you to take us through it, but right after this break, can you stay? Sure. Doctor, thank you very much. Stay with us. All right, we're joined by Dr. Tom Frieden. He used to run the CDC. And doc, the question is that we're seeing cases start to move around the country. And there are two possibilities at play. One is, well, this is nothing. This was always going to happen. It doesn't show that what you do matters. It was inevitable versus no. The reason New York and New Jersey and Connecticut are backing off is because of what they did, not just time. And the measures we're seeing are not the same in other parts of the country, as you were referring to Texas, Arizona, for examples. Explain. Well, first off, with positivity rates increasing, you know that that increase is real. What you need here is an adaptive response. You need to track the virus and like a dimmer dial, move it up or down in terms of the physical distancing. Remember the three W's, wear a mask, wash your hands, watch your distance. You do those three things, we can keep the virus at bay. And communities around the country and around the world that do a better job with testing, isolation, contact tracing, quarantine, do better. Less death, less disease, and less economic devastation. Why better? Better because you can keep the virus at no, bay. No, but why are they better this than isn't us? about health. Ah, well, first off, they're testing strategically. That means you test patients when they're admitted to hospital, you test people in nursing homes so you don't have big explosive outbreaks, you test the contacts of patients with active disease, you figure out who's got disease, you trace those webs and you stop them. You prevent cases from becoming clusters, clusters from becoming outbreaks, and outbreaks from sending us back into our homes. What are when we you doing? do that, you protect health and livelihood. Right here, uh, there is a lot of mask wearing in some places and very little in other places. Where you really worry about that is when you have a lot of people indoors. Then you can have explosive spread. May take a while, may take a few weeks or even a few months to see it if you don't have a lot of cases, but it will spread. And if you keep doing what you've done, you'll keep get the results you're getting. That means more spread and eventually more hospitalizations and more deaths. Uh, the first W that you put out there, wear a mask. A lot of people want to turn the W upside down and make the W and M and say, maybe maybe a mask. Um, it's optional. How do you feel about it as an option? Well, I think rather than saying yes, no on masks, it's really about where and when. Anytime you're within six feet of someone else in a community where there's COVID spreading, you need to wear a mask, particularly if you're indoors. That's important. If all of us wear a mask, all of us are safer. This is us against them. It's people against microbes. That's the only them here. The human beings against microbes. There was a great Nobel Prize winner, Josh Lederberg. He used to say that it's the microbes outnumber us. It's our brains against their numbers. And we have to be smart. And that means doing things that protect ourselves. If the choice is between wearing a mask and shutting down the economy, it's a no-brainer. The more we wear masks, the safer we are. And that's one of the things we can do to fight this virus so we can get our economy back and save lives. Um, the idea of how effective a prophylactic it is, when you look at it as compared to a seatbelt or a helmet, if you're going to be on a motorcycle, do you see it as a similar level of effectiveness? 
A uh, little different because when I wear a mask, I'm protecting you. When you wear a mask, you're protecting me. And when all of us wear a mask, all of us are safer. So this is about getting together to block the virus. This is about protecting our community. And even if you're young and healthy, you think you'll do fine with this virus, you could get it, not know you have it, spread it to someone who dies from it. A little girl with leukemia, your sister-in-law who's on yeah. treatment for breast cancer, someone who's older who will die. This is a deadly virus for some people, it's mild for others, but for us as a society, it can be devastating. Mm. Dr. Frieden, thank you very much for taking us through the realities of what to do and the reality of what's gonna happen if we don't do it. God bless and be well. Thanks, Chris. All right, now you may have heard, Rayshard Brooks was laid to rest today. Uh, his situation is about him, it's about his family, but it is also about a pattern of behavior that so many in this country have had enough of. Is that enough? This case and how it's handled is gonna be watched by this country and by the world. Now, the officers are talking about the cases against him, against them, and saying politics are involved. Politicians are saying that this prosecution is about politics, not proof. What does the top prosecutor who made the call say? We are lucky to have him tonight. Next. No doubt about it. When President Trump holds a rally, people want to come. Take a look at the crowd tonight. The president spoke to young supporters in Phoenix. Mask requirements largely ignored. Now, here's the president again at a roundtable on border issues in Yuma, Arizona. Again, no masks in sight. You just heard the former head of the CDC. You've heard the current head of the CDC. You've heard the most credible person in this country, Dr. Fauci, on this issue, all saying the same thing. You have to wear a mask if you want to make things better. So what's happened with masks? It's become a political issue. New coronavirus cases, hospitalizations are surging in Arizona but the politics overwhelm it. The mayor of Yuma, Arizona is Douglas Nichols. He was at the round table with the president today and he joins us now on primetime. Thanks for being with us, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for having me. In terms of your community, uh, we have the cases for people. Uh, Arizona has been hit hard, more in the bigger population centers. Uh, Yuma is starting to feel it uh, a little bit more acutely. You've got about 185 cases today, up from 152 cases yesterday. Uh, four uh, new people have lost their lives over the past few days. How great is your concern? Uh, our concern is great. And we just did pass a uh, mandate to wear masks. And at the meeting you were talking about, we did wear a mask until we were all socially distant. And then when we were sitting, so when people stopped moving around is when our, my mask came off. Oh, I didn't see it in the footage, but I appreciate you giving the clarification. Um, you say that you guys just passed the measure. You were against it, the measure to uh, not have to, to mandate masks, were you not? I did vote against it, but I do fully support wearing of masks. What my concern was wasn't wearing the masks. It was mandating it by government that people really need to take ownership of the issue. We're not, the government should not be telling us absolutely everything we need to do. We need to understand what the experts are telling us and then take that personal responsibility to make that happen. Are you against the Arizona helmet law? No, sir. Are you against the seatbelt law? 
No, sir. So why would you be against masks if not for a naked political play? Well, it's not naked political play because I'm not doing anything um, on the national scale. I was voting in a local election, or I'm sorry, in a local action. Mm-hmm. And if I was against it, I did not need my council to vote. I could have put the uh, the document out that said uh, we didn't need to mandate masks. But instead, I went through the democratic process. We had our council convene. Uh, we voted on it. And right after that meeting, I crafted the language and issued that document to make masks mandated in the city of Yuma per the direction of our elected council. Why am I wrong to suggest that you're trying to have it both ways? That you did the right thing by the community, which is make sure that masks are mandatory so you can save some lives. Uh, And at the same time, as a Republican, check the box uh, that you say what Trump wants you to say by voting against it. Well, well, I don't know about what uh, the president wanted me to say today, or I'm sorry, last Friday. I'm not sure what he wanted me to say. These are things as the mayor and in a proclamation of emergency status that we've been in the last few months. I'm very concerned about overreach. I'm very concerned about the government having to be the end-all, be-all for everything. We're a nation of people, not a nation of a government. And so the people need to t- to own this action, not, not the government. So as the person that had to um, enact this and has that responsibility, I wanted to be clear that it's not something that I'm looking to lord over people, that this comes down to the individual. But that's exactly, but, but Mr. Mayor, that's exactly what it is, is something that you have to lord over them because it's like a seatbelt. It's like a helmet, except by doing this, you not only help keep yourself safe, but other residents and their families and vulnerable loved ones as well. Look, they can come after you for how long you close the schools for how long you keep businesses closed, for what you do with state services and functions. That's the government making decisions about when it's going to provide or not provide services. But when you know that the only thing that we have going for us that you can control is what you do with distance and what with you do in terms of controlling your own face space, why would you see that as a liberty issue and not a necessary emergency measure? Well, I see it as... It is a necessary measure, and it's the necessary measure that each one of us has to take. We all have to eat. We all have to do those things that keep us healthy. We all have to take the medicine. There are no laws that make those happen. Those just happen. But you can't make me sick by how you decide to eat. You know, I'm not you're not three Big Macs for making me fat. Right. This is something different. This is what. And look, you, you you know this, Mr. Mayor, because you made sure that the council was allowed to vote and did the right thing. Why would you vote against something that you engineered to happen in the first place? Doesn't make any sense. I did not engineer it. It is something that I put before the, the will of the people. Right. We opened up the, uh, the outreach to the people the day before so we could get as much input as we could mm-hmm. get uh, into that decision. And up until just right before the vote, I, I was debating either way to go on this issue. So there wasn't a pre-engineered, predefined uh, vote. Except you said you didn't need to do this. You said you could have done it yourself. You did it in the democratic process because you wanted the council to vote. You know they were going to vote in favor of it. So they voted in favor of it. You voted against it. All I'm saying is, Mr. Mayor, you did the right thing. You're keeping people safe in your community. I just don't understand why you'd want to send a mixed message. Last word to you. I did not, did not know how the council was going to vote. That was debated right there in the meeting. 
in Arizona has very strict open meeting laws. I'm not allowed to pull my council beforehand. It happened there. It happened there live, real time, in front of the people of Yuma. What was so the vote? This idea that somehow trying to play both sides just isn't the just isn't true. I take your argument. I'm just saying that you know you're happy that it happened, but you voted against it. That's why I say it's a suggestion of a hedge. What was the vote on the council? It was uh, five two. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for joining us, for making the case, and for expressing the concern in your community. God bless you, and I hope things get better soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Stay safe. Thank you, sir. The prosecutor whose case will decide if the former officer who killed Rayshard Brooks will spend life in prison is here. People are coming after him for how he's handling this case. What is his response to the critics? Next. Message from the highest court in the land and the land of social media today. This president does not get his own rules. Let's hear the defense from someone on the inside, acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. Good to see you. It's been a minute. Hey, Chris. So Good to be with you. seems to me that when I looked at the dissent uh, in this case, uh, because, you know, look, not to bury people in the weeds, but this was basically, we're not going to rule on DACA, whether it's good policy or bad policy. You guys have to do this the right way. We feel you didn't address um, the right kinds of aspects you needed to. Go back and figure it out. But then all of the justice pretty much agreed on a couple of things. This isn't about Trump being uh, making racist comments during the campaign. Uh, and really, the lawmakers should figure this out. And this is a political dispute. So let's jump to that. Do you guys have a plan on how to make good on the president's promise to protect and help dreamers? Because if you just remove the current protections and you don't replace it with any, they're going to be lost. So uh, if you remember, Chris, almost two years ago now, the president was negotiating with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to address mm -hmm. this problem. And they pulled out of that discussion when a district court um, froze the case in place at the time, mm -hmm. and they thought they'd bought time. And so they let these 640,000 folks just kind of stew in their political juices. And the president wanted to finish that discussion. And that, that opportunity was gone when those two leaders from Congress walked away. So this has been attempted once. The president was committed to that discussion. Um, the Supreme Court, as you noted, Chris, in part of the part of the opinions, there were five opinions today, mm -hmm. um, they said Congress should be dealing with mm -hmm. this should be done via laws. President Obama himself said he didn't have the authority to do this mm -hmm. over 20 times stop before he actually went ahead and did it. It was a stopgap. That's where the leadership to get to legislation. Yeah, that's where the leadership comes in, though, uh, Ken. The reason that they left it alone is because it left the protections in place and it left the forbearance in place. If the president wants to help them and do it with heart and say all the other things that I keep playing for the audience that he said, it's on him to lead. It's on him to make something happen. He's never brought it up again. It just seems like the urgency for him was in saying that Obama was wrong and not doing anything that's right. Yeah, you're Chris, you're, you're looking the other way at the people who left the table and you're blaming the one guy who stayed at the table. And uh, is there another opportunity? The I House heard, passed uh, DACA protections last Durbin year. I talking and. Ken, we both know that, I heard right? Senator Durbin talking in terms of finishing this. Well, but um, who runs the well, Senate? Well, you got to deal with the House and the Senate. Who runs the Senate? you got to deal with the House and the Senate. And Has the Senate the taken it up? Was doing. Has Mitch for said that he's taken votes, it up, McConnell? For 60 votes, you got to talk to Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. You so, think you're going to have to get to uh, 60 votes on this? This isn't on a this? budget. It's legislation. This is going to be about a simple majority. And hold on, Barack hold on, Obama Ken. had 60 votes and he didn't do it. I know. I know he didn't. 
He couldn't get it done, so he had to do a stopgap measure. And the president said he'd do better, this president, Trump. And he hasn't. Now, the House passed it. He has never said to Mitch McConnell, take it up. He's never said work out a deal. We both know that. So what was this lawsuit about? He didn't tell other people to try to work out the deal, Chris. He got to the table himself and it was Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi who tanked it, not no, Donald they, but Trump. But they didn't tank so it because today, of DACA. You know, we he get could have done this today. all by himself, Ken. We both know the reality. No, if he no, wanted he to could, do DACA no, he alone, could not. he could The Supreme could've. Court just said, no, it's illegal. And the dissent said it's illegal. And oddly no, enough, no, you're the talking majority about the executive wouldn't order. address whether I, it was legal I agree. Or not. I agree with everything you just said. The executive order, not the way to do it. Now, they didn't really get to it. But my suspicion is that it's going to be where your head is. What I'm saying is the president could have gone to the Democrats and to the Republicans and said, just DACA, do DACA, and I will sign it. I want to help these people. I want to get them out of the mix. They're not our problem with immigration. So, so Chris, so Chris, I, I hear you changing the terms. So, no, I never uh, changed anything. You know, but this continue. is part of a bigger, this is a bigger part of a, of a broader immigration challenge that has gone unmet. For many years, and um, and and I don't think it's reasonable to just say go do this one thing. Congress never just does Why? that. So we've got that's to solve exactly, a, yeah, but that's several exactly problems what the president at once did. here. The president did exactly that. He went all in on a wall. He went all in on one aspect of a complicated situation when he could have done anything if he wanted to. He picked no. That was that. not. That is not what happened. DACA was on the table. The wall was on the table. Other elements of the immigration system were on the table. But he did the wall. He didn't do DACA um, as a standalone. And they were making progress. Will he do it now, Ken? Will he say, do DACA yeah, because... Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't answer that. But that's your I job. I can't answer that. I full, I, what I can tell you is he'll, he'll go back to the table. He was, he was willing to do that. He said that at the time. DACA alone. It was the other side that walked away and stayed away. DACA alone. They walked away and stayed away. I heard you the first time. We're going to solve immigration problems just as this president, just as this president has continued to do. But I'm sorry, Chris, you and I don't get to set those terms. If we're going to solve immigration problems, we're going to solve immigration Will problems. Will he do the Supreme DACA Court, alone? The Supreme Court did, the Supreme Court did Congress's work for them by buying several years or a year, and that's it. They just delayed. They didn't solve. And uh, the Thomas dissent said, this court is doing Congress's yes, job that that's Congress right. isn't All doing. All agreed, agreed. The president was at the table. The president, the president walked was away at the table, also because there was more to added to it than willing, DACA. He did not walk away, Chris. No, sir. Listen, let's do it he this way. He was not the one who walked let's, away. Let's do it this way. he's willing to talk. Let's do it this way. He's willing to talk. Good. Um, let me ask you something. Do you believe that dreamers are Americans? Uh, no, they're illegal aliens. And that's the problem. And that's the problem. And that's, well, that's why that's, well, you're that, not going to get a DACA stands deal. for deferred action. Yeah. DACA yeah. stands for deferred yeah. action. The action deferred is deportation. Yeah, you I don't know. Deport and Americans. you know why they deferred it, I'm just it, being a lawyer here. I, no, you're not being a lawyer. You're not being a lawyer. Because yes, political no, leverage. Because equity, Political leverage. No, but here, Barack Obama and the Democrats have been using no, these no, 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 no. Yeah, and, and Otherwise, why? they would have solved and, the problem and why, Ken, when they had the vote. Why did they use it? Because it's a question of humanity. It's not about the law. It's about humanity. And if using you want to use the law, remember this humanity? line, Professor? Equity abhors a forfeiture. These people have been here their entire lives. They go to school. They have jobs. They pay taxes. They've never known any other country. And you're going to say they're not Americans because they're American in every way 
except something they had nothing to do with, Chris, that's which is why, how they came into the that's country. That's why everybody's willing to come to the table. That's why the president is willing to come to the table. You just called them illegal aliens. Too. That's why you're not, not getting it done. But they are, I, I did that. That was, because that's what they are. You asked me, and that's the answer it's to the question. It's not what they are. I, the, the entire court They are Americans in every way. They're not just some legal term that is pejorative no, and they try grew to make up them in another. America. They're just like you and they me. They grew up in America. They grew up in America, but the, the whole legal issue here is that they are not, in fact, This is about American politics. Citizens. Like that's you said before, it's not case. about the law. It's never yes, been about the law. It's about right. doing the right thing. And if the president that's wants right. to, and it started I will cover all the it. Way back I'll cover it every day. If he comes for DACA alone, Ken, this is what I'll say. You are welcome on here all the time. You know that. Uh, I, I love having you on the show. I if, appreciate if that. If they're going to do DACA, and that's what he wants to do. And that's the proposal. You come on. I'll give you 20 minutes to make your case on what you guys want to do on DACA and why Congress <laughs> should take it up. I got to jump right now, but I wish you the best for Father's Day. And thank you to make the case. Good to be with you, Chris. It. God bless and be well. Um, listen, here we test, but I don't do it with animus because uh, it gets you nowhere. But the dreamers are Americans in every way except a piece of paper. And the word illegal alien, I know you can find it in the law. All right. But we also know what it describes. Lots of words have been used in the law. We've changed them over time. And this is one that needs to change as well. Miami's mayor tonight is uh, quoting him, extremely concerned about the rise in coronavirus cases in Florida uh, and fears that his city may be the next epicenter. The state of Florida just shattered a record for reported cases. And we know why. They're not doing what the states that got hit hard and made it through did. So what is their action plan? One of the few officials, in fact, you'll be shocked how hard it was to get somebody. I'm going to start with that next because it's part of the problem. Question, are Confederate statues coming down enough? In New York, a Teddy Roosevelt statue is set to be removed from the front steps of the Museum of Natural History. In Washington, D.C., Boston, activists are calling for the removal of the Emancipation Memorials depicting Abraham Lincoln standing over a black man. In recent days, statues of the founding fathers, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, were toppled in Oregon. In San Francisco, protesters tore down a statue of former President Ulysses S. Grant, who led the Union Army during the Civil War. How far is enough? Is there a too far? Is this all more helpful than hurtful in building a more perfect union? Tough questions. Great guest. Legendary documentarian Ken Burns is here. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. Do you have answers? I think we're in the middle of an, an enormous reckoning right now in which the anxieties and the pains and the torments of centuries of injustice are bubbling up to the surface. It's very important for people like me of my complexion to be as quiet as possible and to listen. What I know uh, from my reading of history is that the Confederate monuments have to go. Uh, they were put up in the 1880s and 90s when white supremacy was being brutally reimposed over the old Confederacy. Uh, again, in the late teens and 20s when the Ku Klux Klan uh, was ascendant. Again, after the Brown versus Board of Education decision mm -hmm. in 1954. And so we see that these are not monuments to history and heritage, but they're an attempt to rewrite history and to essentially celebrate a false narrative 
narrative about what happened during the Civil War and to uh, send the wink winks, uh, the dog whistles, as we are fond of saying today, across the generations about what the Civil War was about. It's so interesting that we're even having this argument uh, because the people that we memorialize, the, the nation's forts that are named after Civil War generals, these are all people who fought to perpetuate slavery, which right. must be an anathema to every American. Well, and they're should, also it, people it should responsible for the deaths of, yes, it, it, these are people responsible for the deaths of loyal American uh, citizens. Well, they and make a play to heritage. Ken. A travesty. They make a play to heritage that it's, I think is a losing argument with the Confederacy, but when you extend it, to the founding fathers, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, well, at least not in a memorial where he is seen as above a black man. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, Washington, Grant. Is there a danger in going too far, in your opinion? Of, of course there's a danger in going too far. It's the, the passions of the moment. And let's just think about it for a second. Let's just hold off and reserve judgment, Chris, for one second and consider that more than a quarter of the presidents of the United States of America, founded on the idea that all men are created equal, the guy who wrote that owned more than 300 human beings in his lifetime, by the way, more than a quarter of United States presidents owned other human beings. This is a huge thing that we cannot just dismiss. But I would say the Confederate monument for me is an easy right. decision. We have to get rid of them. They're not about heritage. This is a specious argument. This is about the reimposition of white supremacy in the South at various periods. It, there's nothing about the names of the, the bases and the forts should be changed. You know, we taken down the statues. It's a good thing to do. And we now need to continue this reckoning by, by looking as carefully as we can. Monuments are hugely important. They're acts of, of fact, but they're also acts of mythology. They're mm -hmm. acts of symbols. Your father told me in our film on the Statue of Liberty, symbols are important, but it works both ways in this regard. And so we have to now look at each individual case beyond, I think, the Confederate monuments and begin to look. Listen, the descendants of Theodore Roosevelt want the statue taken away from the Museum of Natural History. Theodore Roosevelt, who was actually good in, in many respects on race, invited Booker T. Washington to the White House, took a lot of grief and then never invited another black person there again nonetheless has a statue flanked and much lower by a Native American right. and an on African American. And, and, and a black just, guy on the other side. Absolutely, it, we all know it, the statue it, it well. Looks like white, it looks like white supremacy. Right. And so I'm very happy to see that we are on a case-by-case -case judgment um, moving through these questions. The most important thing is the reckoning. The most important thing is for us to not get distracted by the arguments because the arguments of too far are being happened on both sides. The issue is that for far too long in our country, citizens of African descent did not enjoy equal justice under the law. Still don't. They were held as slaves for centuries and still do not have that. This is why in this most extraordinary of American times, the COVID puts us 
itself as one of the four great crises in American history with the Civil War, the Depression, and World War II. And they're hurt much we worse by now, that also. We are in the midst of this extraordinary reckoning about our racial past, and we have to stop first and listen to those people who have borne the brunt. You and I don't have the facilities to actually receive this information and to be able to transmit it uh, to everyone else. So we have to do a lot of listening and we have to permit mistakes to be made and, and people to overshoot the mark and rhetoric to be too inflammatory because for too long, people have had a knee at their neck. And these statues, I mean, Robert E. Lee himself said in 1869, after the Civil War, make no monuments to the Confederacy. It will only keep open the sores, the, the wounds of this thing. Mm. They should be I want to ask you one quick thing, though, before I, to I let you go, Ken. Um, there's an aspect of this that's going to be about uh, when the moment of when things were done also, and that'll be part of our retrospective design here. Um, you mentioned my pop earlier. I remember watching uh, one of your earlier efforts on the Civil War. Uh, people have looked at that now and said, you know, that series uh, was a little too nice about the Confederacy, a little too glorifying of them, should have said more about the slavery, should have been a harsher indictment. When you look back at that work, do you think about it that way now, differently than you did then? Yeah, I, I certainly do, I think, um, in many ways. Uh, we would probably be making a different kind of film now. But let us remember that the very first chapter was a chapter called All Night Forever about the realities of slavery. And one of the last moments of the film, the African-American historian Barbara Field said that the Civil War is still going on. It's still being fought and regrettably it can still be lost. Mm. This is an interview done in 1988 for a film that today. appeared in 1990 yeah. and it is just as true today. And this is the great lesson of history. History gives us the perspective to make all of their stories evergreen and we have to listen and learn from them. We can't throw everybody out because if we erase the history, then we don't know where we've been. And if we don't know where we've been, we can't possibly know where we are and where we might be going. This requires study. This re moment requires reckoning. Ken Burns, let's keep the dialogue going. You will be invited back early and often to talk about what moments matter uh, in the present and what they'll mean going forward and how we draw on our past. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right, thank you for watching CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. That's Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.